2: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
3: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And uh, Chen Lin, uh, my partner, publishes a letter called, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And Roger Wiegand, another partner of mine, publishes a, a, a letter that is really geared towards trading uh more so towards trading and that's called trader tracks. We do have a special introductory offer for all three letters, not uh, all three separately, I should say, at miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com or call my assistant Claudio Bossi in New York at 718-457-1426. The best way to uh, follow everything that I do and my partners do is to go to J dot com. That's J A Y T A Y L O R Media dot com and there you can also access this show very conveniently. Well, uh, thanks to each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Prophecy Platinum, American Bonanza Gold, Eurasian Minerals, and Rye Patch Gold. When I was in Hong Kong last summer, speaking to a group of fund managers, one of them told me that he listens to most of the uh, most of the turning hard times into good times shows, and he commented that, from his perspective, the very best show up to that point in time, at least, was the one that featured two very successful investors who I have learned to know and hold in very high res- uh, regard. I'm talking about Doug Casey and Rick Rule because of their success. Uh I think it is most important that we do listen to what they have to say. What are the reasons for the success of these two gentlemen? Well, first I think uh it's very obvious anybody that's listened to them and that followed their work and over the years that they are two very intelligent men. But then so are countless other members of the human race very intelligent but poor as church mice. So it's not just brains that has allowed Casey and Rule to rise above the masses. What else may explain their success? Well, as one who has observed them over the years, I think it is certainly part of it has to do with their refusal to be programmed by a statist educational system. By that, I'm not just talking about high school and college, but by America's propaganda machinery, the major large corporate government-sponsored media, for example, that is far more powerful, according to some, than anything the Soviet Union ever had in place, like Pravda or Izvestia. While the Soviets had their thugs that would beat the tar out of, the, of those folks who differed with them, America has its Ivy League PhDs decked out in Brooks Brothers suits telling us on CNBC and Bloomberg how we should just follow their advice. Well, I think a very much more effective propaganda machine, uh, the kinder, gentler propaganda machine that America has, but neither Casey or Rule fall for that. They are both definitely out-of-the-box thinkers and Uh, Their courage to go against the trends combined with their intelligence has led, in my view, to their success. But it isn't only about money that Casey and Rule are concerned with. They also care a great deal about liberty because they know, as Ron Paul has said on this show, if we have our liberty, we can ultimately gain prosperity. But take away our freedom and our liberty, and a government will guarantee poverty for the masses, and that's, I think, the direction the U.S. is heading now, increasingly, the Western world is heading that way. So we are losing our freedom, and that's a, a big issue. Instead of the government serving us, um, well, as it was supposed to be in the Constitution, we are increasingly being asked to serve the government and its close friends, like Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and a host of other major financial and corporate institutions. Um, in any event, Rule and uh, Casey will be with us
4: uh,
3: starting uh, in about uh, twenty minutes or so. Uh, and we're going to seek their advice. I think it's very, very important that we do so uh, because of their success in the past. And we do like to uh, we do like to have successful people on this show, which is why Chen Lin will be joining me in just a few uh, seconds. I want to tell you also that Roger Wiegand will be on with us as well uh, in a few minutes and about a quarter after. We're going to talk about copper. We're going to talk about Mexico Mike's stock pick last week, which was Mercator Minerals Limited. And we're going to talk to Roger and Chen about their views on copper uh, and possibly oil as well. Um, in the second hour, also, after I finish talking with Doug Casey and Rick Rule, uh, I will have with me David Wolfen. He is the president and CEO of Avino Silver and Gold. That's a company that is uh, commencing production in Mexico now. Uh, actually, Chen has just joined me now. And Chen and I are just uh, back from a visit to the southwest uh... in the united states here where we visited two companies uh, the projects of two companies santa fe uh... santa fe gold and also american manganese so uh... i want to get chen's view on both of those uh, both of those projects uh... if uh... chen are you there
4: yes hi uh,
3: yeah chen so um... we had a good time uh... we i think we learned a lot uh, what can you tell us about your observations of Santa Fe? Uh, that's, they have a gold mining project, actually more of a silver and gold project, uh, in, uh, called the Summit Mining Project in New Mexico. What are your thoughts about that project?
4: Yeah, they're running by uh, a very experienced uh, people. You know, very experienced team. We, we met them. Uh, they are in the process of ramping up uh, to their two or 400 ton per day, which is the mine capacity. Uh, they have, you know, experienced some difficulties and some delays. I think, the, you know, as we discussed, this milestone will be extremely important for the company because that's when they can start generating some cash flow and pay back the loan.
3: Right, and if they can, they certainly do seem to have a lot of upside potential, don't they? Exactly.
4: Then a lot of other things will come into play, you know, a lot of other uh, so that, that's make, you know, potential. This is, yes, the company has a lot of upside potential. Uh, they can have, uh, they have another, uh, gold mine that they can permit. Uh, they, they're taking over Columbus Silver. They have another property they can explore. And then they have a very large, uh, gold and copper deposit. I mean, very high grade gold and copper deposit around their mill that they, they can do. But first they have to, you know, uh, achieve uh, 400 Four hundred ton per day,
3: right? And you and I were both uh, down under. We both we we visited the milling pro uh, the mill itself, and then we went under the uh, into the mine itself, and we had a chance to meet with the people there. And they they all seemed to be pretty strong technically. That was my opinion. Uh, yours as well. Yes. Okay, we got a minute to talk about American manganese, um, and it's well. You and I visited the Artillery Peak project.
4: What are your thoughts about that? Well, oh, that's a huge, huge project. You know, the uh, itself, the scale. It's um, you know, so huge. until you've been there, you, you know, you, now you know, you know, such a huge project potential. The war can last for tens of years, if not hundred years. Yeah, uh, you know, for for so it, the key is metallurgical testing, which I think they're going to have some results hopefully later this month, and then they're going to do a pilot plan next year. So those are the key. Yeah, very, very interesting. I think both of those companies,
3: in my view, have tremendous upside potential. I should mention that American Manganese uh, is, is a sponsor, has been a sponsor of this show, uh, Santa Fe Gold, not. But uh, both of these companies, I think, are very interesting, possible targets, uh, possible inclusions uh, for my newsletter. Well, American Manganese is already there. Uh, Chen, we're going to have to go to break right now. When we come back, Roger Wiegand will join us. We're going to have a little discussion on copper and possibly oil as well. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with uh, Roger Wiegand and Chen Lin.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business
5: Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group metals, nickel, and copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com.
2: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
6: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. Insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
1: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host Jay Taylor. Uh, well, last week we talked to uh, Mexico Mike, uh Mike uh, Kachanovsky. He's uh now starting to write some uh pick some stocks for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and uh Mike talked about a company uh that's uh, a copper producer, a new junior copper producer. Uh and uh you can read an awful lot more about uh, the details of this pick uh, in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. But the name of the company now will tell you uh, was Mercator Minerals, and it's trading at about a dollar sixty-five. Uh, two hundred uh, gives it a. It has about two hundred fifty-nine million shares out, gives it a uh, market cap of four hundred twenty-seven million. So it's expensive compared to a lot of the smaller companies on our list. It is a copper and moly producer now. It did produce eighty million pounds of copper equivalent last year it is operating profitably but more importantly according to mike it has very very substantial upside uh... growth potential uh... lots of copper production and as i say the reasons for mike's pick uh... are spelled out in the newsletter so we hope you'll uh, take advantage of uh... to subscribe to that letter and learn more of what mike is thinking he wasn't available actually would have been available but he's working so hard On next uh, week's pick uh, for my newsletter that he wasn't. I couldn't reach him in time to get him on the show today. Uh, we'll have him on next week, uh, potentially. But in any event, I have Roger Wiegand and Chen Lin with me. I have had reservations, as many of you know. I'm more of a deflationist and I really am concerned, uh, that, uh, that slowing global economic activity can put a, a real damper on, uh, on the base metals. But there are those that think differently than I and are more optimistic. Chen Lin, for one, is more of an inflationist, believes that lots of tangible items will work well in the future. Uh, But before we get to Chen, I want to ask him about his thoughts on the copper markets, because he has some very interesting insights. I want to ask Roger Wiegand what he sees technically in the charts for copper. Roger, what do you see short-term, medium-term, and longer-term for copper?
0: Copper right now on the chart, Jay, on the weekly chart, Uh, since uh, last fall, in at the near the beginning of October, the trend has been sideways to up. Um, the relative strength index right now is flat, but it's had a month and a half, two months of rising. Uh, copper prices generally have been driven by how many, how much uh, in supply that China will buy. Uh, they they go in fits and starts, and I think that has a big impact on the price. But generally, overall, I saw a big report last week. I forget the source, but it was. Uh, Uh, Bloomberg quality or something similar, and they were saying on that. uh, Well, I guess it was on Bloomberg. They reported somebody else. They did say that copper uh, fundamentally is about 20 to 25 percent shorter demand over a longer period. Now this is over five years. So with China starting and stopping uh, on their buying of copper, the prices are going to reflect that. However, right now we see a uh, copper chart. That is rising. The blue histograms at the bottom are up. Momentum is up. and there has been firm support at 3 twenty two. Last price on this chart today is three dollars and eighty one cents. Now resistance on copper is at 440. So I could see another 30 forty cents on the upside over the next four to six weeks, okay? And I guess longer term it's more difficult to see.
3: Uh, Chen, you had some very interesting comments about copper when we were down in New Mexico visiting the Santa Fe folks. Uh, can you spell that out for our listeners?
4: Oh, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, copper is uh, very hard uh, to predict. Okay, uh, copper, uh, the uh, it's a metal that's very easy to stockpile. Uh, for example, J.P. Morgan stockpiles, you know, the one-year of copper supply in their hmm. warehouse. Wow! And they're backed by the U.S. government, so they can keep it for a long time. But you know, when they sell, I don't know when they would. I mean, they will be devastating for copper market. The Same thing for China, and then a lot of China's um, China's you know margin is very hard for those companies, uh, especially a uh, private company. Margins very tough. So they a lot of people they speculate. So they speculate, they can you know warehouse the copper and then play the market. So, uh, you know, that's one of the model. I I feel like I I don't see a very clear, you know, future for this. I mean, you know, uh, three, five years down the road, hard to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the mind, unless it's producing mind, which uh, Mexico might recommend, I think maybe a good one. But if it's, you know, exploration or very early stage, it's hard to say so that, right. that's what that's what i'm saying you know I, i'm more um, you know more, more bullish on gold and silver i know you know i feel pretty confident 3 or 5 years from now they will be up mhm copper is it's hard to say
3: you know i think that's what roger was saying too it's copper is pretty hard to see long, longer term going out of ways but maybe roger you thought thirty forty cents potentially on the upside right now is what the charts are telling you but but i think it's incredible that the uh that a bank like JP Morgan would be stockpiling copper. I mean, doesn't this really tell us that a lot of the money that's being pumped into the uh into the banking system is going into commodities and not into the economy uh stockpiling commodities that are generally used, you know, for economic growth. I think this is really really interesting. Well, Chen, you had uh also a couple of uh, more industrial metals you were bullish on. I think uh tungsten and manganese. Maybe just briefly take 30 seconds to to say why you like both of those.
4: Yeah, they are both a dominant a producer from China. The China China is like eighty, seventy percent. I mean, eighty five for tungsten and seventy maybe to manganese. Mm-hmm. So, and then China high grade mine has been depleted, and low grade mine government try to shut them down because too much pollution. Mm-hmm. So you know China production will come down, and then the cost will go up. So mm-hmm. that's, the you know metals I can see for the long run mm-hmm. has a pr- very bright future.
3: And for both those metals, uh, tungsten and manganese. Yes. Okay. Um, Also, Roger, I'd like to ask you, what are the charts telling you about oil?
0: I love the oil chart today. I've got the weekly chart in front of me, the spot price. Uh, We had a double bottom. We've got a big inverse head and shoulders, which portends or forecasts uh, a rather large upside. Uh, In our newsletter, we've recommended May oil spreads. Uh, those are probably close to in the money at around or fully paid at around 110, 112. I see 115 on the high for spring and more than likely we could hit 120. Uh, everyone is watching Iran. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a war, but who knows. Uh, just the threat of a war can put a premium in oil of five to $10. I don't think too much of that premium is in the price yet, but I think it's coming. We've got a lot more inflation coming, in my view. And also, the good thing for oil is uh, at the end of March, 1st uh, of April, that's the beginning of the big cycle run on the long side for oil.
3: Um, okay. Uh, and, Chen, you have uh, a couple of – we know that you like MART resources. That's your top pick. I don't know if you want to comment on that today or not, but, uh, but Pan Orient. Poe, I think, is a symbol of the Toronto Exchange. Talk to us just briefly about that before we go to the break. What do you like about Pan Orient?
4: Oh, it's a very solid stock. Uh, it's in right now trading on three fifty at one dollar cash. Okay, and uh, right now cash flow probably about a dollar fifty around around that range, a dollar thirty, a dollar fifty. So look at it's pretty reasonable trade at the current production, the current cash flow with this cash value. But they have some big upside. They just drill, uh, one well that's 1,000 barrel per day, okay? Uh, and then the well is limited by mechanical issue. They, so they could have pumped more. And then they're going to drill 12 wells around that area. Uh, mm-hmm. so their guidance is 2,500. Right now they're already pumping 3,000. Hmm. So potentially those 12 wells come in. They, they can be many, many times of guidance. Uh, you know, I see it could potentially catch for $4. Uh, exit this year, and you, times five factor, uh, that's $20 stock. It's right now $3, $3.50. Plus, they are drilling some very big wells, very high impact well in Indonesia. They have three high impact wells in the first half of the year, and three high impact wells in the second half of well uh, of the year. Okay, so if all hit, those can add another $20 to the net asset value. So, so those, uh, so it's very, that's what I like, you know, very strong balance sheet, a lot of cash, Strong cash flow, experience management, and then they had a very big upside potential.
3: Why do you think the stock is selling at three dollars if it has a potential for twenty, as you see it?
4: Oh, that was last year. Last year it sold down to a dollar ninety or something. I think mm-hmm. I was telling my subscribers to buy as many as could. It's just a big washout last year, so that's why I was, you know, overweighting energy because energy really was hit very, very hard. Like Pine Orange, they raised money at three seventy-five early last year. Nothing happened. They dropped to a dollar <laughs> It's just unbelievable. You know, the people just selling throughout. You know, baby with bath water. I mean, they just selling everything. Talk, All right. Well, are selling driving down so low uh, that's come to unbelievable level.
3: Okay. Uh, that's, uh, I guess that's why we like to listen to what you have to say, Chen, because you are picking up stocks that are not commonly, um, they're not commonly revered. And of course, that's, uh, that's a success to making money. Of course, there's lots of stocks that aren't commonly revered. They're dogs and you don't want to own them anyway. Uh, but, uh, but that's, that's really, um, that, that's really where it's at is buying stocks that are, that are really out of fashion, that have quality, uh, that have the intrinsic value. Uh, we're going to be talking to two gentlemen that have been specializing in buying undervalued assets throughout their life uh, throughout their professional lives Rick Rule and Doug Casey. Uh Roger, you anything to add on uh, on oil and and your outlook for oil going forward? I guess I guess it's it's more, you know, the the Iranian thing. I'm surprised that you're suggesting there's not going to be a war. I always thought you you were pretty much on the other side of that. Well,
0: I'm writing about it again in my newsletter again this week and nobody can say for sure if something nasty's going to happen or not. But, you know, as of last evening in Asia and in Europe, on uh, the Middle East, the war drums were, were noisy, and people were getting antsy. But um, it's really hard to say. Uh, the latest thing I got on oil is Saudi Arabia. They're shooting in their country right now, so that could be another question uh, that would affect the oil price. There's no question about that. Hmm. Also, we've got three oil plays in our letter right now. We've got New Zealand Energy, which has done exceedingly well. We've also got HOU and UCO, which is uh, are both uh, leveraged long uh, oil instruments for shareholders, and we're looking for call options, as we usually do this time of year, on some of the bigger stocks. Also, I might mention, Jay, that on copper, uh, Goldman Sachs is buying the warehouses uh, that were for sale, and they're buying them, I think, because they want the contents, the commodities. That goes along with your statement about jp morgan buying copper uh... so is goldman sachs and they're they're loading up uh, there's no question about it they're looking for some really big prices
3: okay well that's interesting very interesting more of the same jp morgan goldman sachs buying up copper what in the world's going on here what are these guys doing are they going to be manufacturing what's uh... you mean these are questions that we may ask rick rule and doug casey to speculate on uh... we do have to go to break now and when we come back uh, d- we will have uh, those two very successful gentlemen with us um, assuming we are able to get a hold of Doug Casey in Argentina on uh, by way of Skype. Don't go away, we'll be right back.
1: Voice America Business Network The Bottom Line in Business
5: In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group metals, nickel, and copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group metals, nickel, and copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated, and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com.
1: Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in 3 years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE exchange trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A V I N O.com. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone project located in Arizona is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable mid-tier gold producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American. AmericanBodanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, Please visit us at www.MillRockResources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO.
0: Thanks again for listening.
5: In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group metals, nickel, and copper property a large easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred large deposit excellent infrastructure impressive drill results and increasing international demand to learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen project visit prophecyplat.com
1: Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience in 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt free, well funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE MX exchange trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A V I N O.com. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone project located in Arizona is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable mid-tier gold producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American Bonanza.com for more exciting information Don't miss this great opportunity Voice America Business Network the bottom line in business
2: You're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host Jay Taylor.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, I must say I'm a bit disappointed. Uh, We were going to have uh, two excellent, very successful investors with us, uh, and uh, actually we were going to be doing that uh, uh, with uh, three of us talking to each other on three different continents. Unfortunately, it seems as though we do have a bit of a hiccup uh, using Skype this time. Uh, so, uh, we're going to proceed anyway, and actually, uh, it shouldn't be too great of a disappointment because I have Rick Rule with me, Doug Casey, uh, we're not able to get in touch with him just yet, but Rick is with us, uh, and uh, well, I mean, Rick Rule, what more can I say? Rick Rule has been an extremely successful investor over the years, and I think uh, like uh, his friend and uh... doug casey um these two gentlemen have known each other for quite a few years i used to listen to both of them uh... at different conferences and have learned a great deal from both of them over the years both of them have been very successful they're very bright people they're very intelligent but there are a lot of other very very intelligent people out there that are as poor as church mice these two gentlemen have done very well in investing over the years and i think it's primarily because they are individual thinkers. They don't uh, they don't go along with the masses. They certainly are not uh, indoctrinated uh, to the extent that most people are, at least, by the mainstream media, by the educational system. I think is a very statist educational system that is run and owned, operated by the government and its uh, and its crony capitalist friends. So we're really pleased, in any event, uh, to have Rick Rule with me. And uh, hopefully, if we're able to, we'll get in touch with Doug yet before the show is over. Welcome, Rick
0: thank you Always a pleasure jake really good to have you
7: you're
3: in new zealand right now i believe am i right about that i am yes i'm on north
7: island of new zealand where despite the fact that it's summer it's pouring rain but that's okay <laughs> it's all good down here
3: <laughs> well in new zealand i guess it's a place to be the other side of the earth the other side of the equator which is why i guess doug is down in argentina right now too no doubt one of the reasons um, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time, well, I'm not going to spend any time right now, on your bio or Doug's bio. That can be read at Voice America website and uh, on my page at Voice America website. So what I do want to do, though, Rick, is to get into some topics that I know are, uh, that you and Doug both uh, have pretty strong opinions about and also, well, more than opinions, they're uh, educated views this morning, I was listening to uh, Bloomberg Radio as I often do when I have breakfast and i uh Jim Grant was on and um, you know i I was many times I sort of feel it's a waste of time to listen to mainstream media but Bloomberg radio very often has people that are at least interesting and once in a while they have people that come across uh, as being brilliant and I think James Grant is certainly one of those Grant noted that um you know, he compared the 1920s, uh, 1920 economic decline, the depression. It was very short-lived. It was very sharp indeed, but it lasted only about 16 months. And he's, you know, comparing the current malaise with, with that, and notes that we have been some five, of you know, five years or so in this funk, and no end in sight. And he's suggesting that just maybe, economic orthodoxy has it wrong. Um, I would be surprised if you would differ with Mr. Grant in that regard, Um, but assuming you do agree, how much longer will this lackluster growth period go on in your view, Rick?
7: Well, I'll begin by echoing your praise of uh, Jim Grant. He's one of my absolute favorites. Uh, With regards to the question, um, I think Mr. Grant may be a bit optimistic in terms of forecasting the continuance of the malaise, Uh, it's my own personal belief in the first instance that all of the conditions precedent to the 2008 collapse are still with us and haven't been dealt with. And I suspect that Mr. Grant's forecast of a continued malaise as opposed to extraordinary volatility giving way to something somewhat more serious is probably the optimistic out. Uh, getting back to Mr. Grant's idea, and I think your question, what markets need are market-clearing events. When you have periods with disallocation, uh, periods well above the median or the mean or well below the median or the mean, uh, the markets have to correct, and they don't correct to the median or the mean, or there wouldn't be one. They correct through it. And this market that we're in, uh, this economy that we're in, has not been allowed to correct the various governments, the U.S. government uh, in particular amongst them, has decided to do what it could do to prevent nature from taking its course, uh, of course, by quantitative easing. So we have a market that's kept together with artificial uh, liquidity, which is, for me, sort of forestalling as opposed to eliminating the reckoning. So to recap, uh, the the sort of nature of your question suggests that I agree with you completely, except that I think that Mr. Grant's outlook, which is for a continuation of the malaise, is probably a bit optimistic. And I think that we have to um, experience a market-clearing event, experience true price discovery, before we get the malaise past us. The thing that kicks markets off on the upside is for them to become cheap, and this mm-hmm. market hasn't been allowed to become cheap again. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, certainly, it's certainly true in the housing market. That would be probably the most important economic uh, sector. Uh, and, you know, I, I can't help but notice the difference between this this decline in the housing market and previous ones. Previous ones going back, oh, since they started keeping track of housing construction, for example, would show a sharp V shaped recovery. Uh and then on and upward again in the economic in the economy. This time we've had several years of bouncing around six hundred I don't know, six hundred thousand starts a year or something like that. Before it used to be like eight hundred thousand starts, a V shaped recovery and up up and away we went. But again here um as you're saying the hello. Yes, hello? Yeah, hello. Rick? Oh, Doug, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, Doug, uh, fantastic. Really great to have you. Um, My apologies uh, for not making uh, the instructions a bit more clear, perhaps, uh, to get you on on time. But in any event, better late than never, and and we still have three-quarters of the show left with you and Rick. Say hello to Rick.
7: Rick, how are you? Hello, Doug Casey. It's nice to hear your voice, sir.
8: And you are in New Zealand
7: now, aren't you? Are you not? I'm in New Zealand. Yes, I am.
8: Yeah, I'm in Uruguay, so we're on the same latitude, but different longitudes for sure.
7: <laughs> well, I look forward to catching sight of you live and in person somewhere sometime.
8: Yeah, that'll be a Freedom Fest, I think, in July. You'll be there.
3: Freedom Fest for me in the July. That, the is, that in is that in Nevada? Is that in Las Vegas? Yes. Las Vegas in July. And who are some of the other uh, people that will be there, the other speakers? Will Ron Paul be there?
7: I'm sure he will. Uh, presented, of course, uh, by uh, Mark Skousen, and, and there's a wide variety of uh, libertarian, uh, and, and knowing Mark, some conservative, too, uh, oriented speakers, including one of my favorites, John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods, who, who is always amusing. Um, it, it's a... It, it's it's worth it for some of your listeners to go there. I think the full the full outline is at freedomtest.com. Okay. And yeah, okay, very enough, good. I'm I, I just
8: had an interview an hour ago um, with um, another radio uh, talk program that they had the head of the Ayn Rand Institute on there, who I forget his name. But we had a a pleasant argument for a half an hour about uh, whether limited government or no government was better. And of course, the the Randide guy was defending the state, which I found, you know, shocking and disgusting. But he was a nice fellow. And it's not like he's a communist.
3: Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know a communist from a non-communist these days, honestly. And it, it seems to me, Doug, that uh, when I was working with a lady who ran for civil for city council here in New York City, she was from Poland. She thought she had escaped communism, and she joined the Democratic Party here in New York City. And she said, "Jay, you know, the arguments I'm hearing here are exactly what I heard in Poland." So I think this is. I think communism has gone mainstream in America right now. Would you guys agree?
8: Oh, I'd agree. Absolutely. I, 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 I think the government is taken over by sociopaths, actually, the same kind of people that love communism. They love socialism. So they don't use those words now in the United States, but they, they have the same psychological profile. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely.
3: Fascism, and we've had one guest in this show that, uh, was from the Soviet Union, was there during the time and its decline, and then came here to the American and went back as an engineer, had some business to do back there when things started to change a bit. And he talked about the propaganda machinery of the Soviet Union. He said, you know, there, you saw the hammer and sickle on the wall, and you had a bunch of thugs that would be, beat the tar out of you if you didn't agree with them. But here, he says, what we've got are guys dressed in Brooks Brothers suits with PhDs behind their names telling us how we should think and people nod their heads and say yes of course such wise people we must think that way do you guys see that uh, i mean doug you spend some time in south america now uh, rick here and you know over there in new zealand but you guys have a perspective of america that some of us that have lived here all our lives don't have would you would doug would you care to comment on on that
8: well Jay, to tell you the truth, I, I don't really like going back to the U.S. anymore. First of all, I don't call it America. Uh, that was a very nice idea, but it's, it's gone with the wind. It's mm-hmm. not the U.S. It's just another nation state. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, I prefer being outside of the U.S. and I prefer it to being in a relatively backward country like Uruguay or Argentina, which is backwards in some ways but sophisticated culturally
7: mm-hmm. uh,
8: because uh, uh, it's not they um, they they don't they don't have the technological capability to turn it into a police state which is what the u s is turning into mm-hmm. so I definitely prefer being a, a tourist in a country where they don't care I exist mm-hmm. as opposed to the u s where they see me as a perpetual milk cow. <laughs> uh, and I know they see Rick that way, too, for sure.
3: <laughs> well, well, certainly, you know, I mean, we're la- I'm laughing when you talk about a police state, and I'm living in New York City, so I-, I guess I'd be at ground zero in this police state. And certainly, the recent legislation that was signed by Obama, uh, the so-called uh, Patriot Act, which I think is an anti-patriot act, if we if we still believe, you know, as you said, Doug, it was a nice idea, the Constitution is still... Is still supposedly being followed, but it's we know it's not. Um, you know this this whole notion that the executive branch of our government can decide, first of all, define what a terrorist is, and then go out and imprison that person just because someone has decided they're a terrorist, uh, put him in jail for the rest of his life, and deny him due process, deny him a lawyer. I mean, isn't this is I mean, is this believable to you guys? That it could happen in America? I guess, it, I guess to you guys it is. Which is why, you know, you've been successful. You've sort of had your eyes open where a lot of us have been, have been tricked and trained by those PhDs uh, with Brooks Brothers suits on. But, but, uh, I mean, isn't this shocking to you guys? Is it or
7: not? Rick? Uh, well, you know, I, would step back a bit. I, um, I'm still American by culture. Uh, as Doug points out, that makes it increasingly inconvenient to live in the United States. But it has been pointed out that there is a lot of ruin left in a country as great as the United States, and I would still ascribe to that point of view.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: It's still the easiest place to live in the world, and in many senses, the cheapest place to live in the world. It is still a culture that is, um that would like to at least accord honor and respect to success. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of great things to say for the United States. Sadly, the political culture is not something that we can brag very much about. It would appear to me that increasingly Americans succeed in the United States, uh, despite the political process. And the whole superstructure that is held up to us by our government as being a thing to be proud of or a sustaining part of american culture uh, that's of course a very dangerous set of beliefs if you ascribe to the belief that we succeed or prosper or do well in the united states as a consequence of our political system that's an extremely dangerous belief and i mm-hmm. think both doug and i um, were disabused of that notion 20, 25 years ago. I was disabused of it in fairness in some measure because I hung out with Doug and he uh, showed me <laughs> where some of my uh, my, per- my perceptions were incorrect. But I have to say in the context of investing, uh, I'm still a fairly consistent uh, investor in the United States. It's my belief that uh, the global markets and the American markets are in for extremely tumultuous times, And I suspect my level of investment in the United States will increase in future years as the uh, markets become cheaper. But what I, what I do want to leave your listeners with is despite the fact that you wouldn't ever get Doug or I to say anything nice about the United States political culture, I still think it's a good place to invest. I joke that it's the worst economy in the world, except all the others.
3: Mm-hmm. Doug?
8: Uh,
7: I, I agree
8: with Rick on that. Uh, it's, it's true. I mean, I'm in Uruguay right now on the beach, and, you know, it's very pleasant being here as a tourist. Uh, they totally leave you alone. Uh, you feel very free uh, and so forth. But would I ever start a try to start a business in Uruguay? No way. I mean, the forms and the papers and the you know they hate business people down here. This is a you know it's it's a nice little socialist country, which is almost like a contradiction in terms. But no, there's no business opportunity here. Uh, the U.S. is still the best place to be. I think Rick is right when it comes to business.
3: Yeah. Well, that that may be the case, um, and, and I guess if you're wealthy enough, you can have your own private jet to get out of here and to leave the country. I know how nice it is to get on a private jet uh, in the United States uh, or, or in Canada uh, and not have to go through the TSA regimen, which is becoming increasingly hostile, in my view, in many ways. Now they make you or they try to get you to, uh, to be X-rayed uh, from head to toe, and uh, I don't do it. My wife and I, when we travel now, we always request a pat down. And I was educated by a doctor here in New York City who told me she doesn't care what they do to her. She's not going through that x-ray machine because that uh, the radiation from that thing is a hundred times greater than what you get in a dentist office. And if you do a lot of traveling, not a good idea to be x-rayed every time you go through there. and of course, it was uh, Mr. Chernoff, who was the Homeland Security Czar under Bush, whose company is selling those machines in every airport, and increasingly we're seeing them. But the point is that it's uh, it's, it's really not a comfortable experience, in my view, going through those uh, past those people that could ask you to go into another room anytime and and decide uh, you know maybe you're a terrorist.
7: No, I I, I totally uh, agree. Last year when I went back to the United States from New Zealand, uh, I went through primary security in New Zealand, and then I went through secondary security in New Zealand. And in New Zealand, you're not used to really any security. And so I said to the uh, security agent at the second uh, level of security, what is this about? And he said to me cheerfully, your country, mate, you don't Hmm. think I actually want to pat you down, do you? (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah, this is the United States, and That's I, I experienced an much the same thing in Hong Kong, uh, my the wife and United I. The
7: United States has, um succeeded, as a consequence of its heft, in exporting the idiocy of airline security around the world. Um, which is unfortunate. Yeah,
3: you know, it, it is, it is
7: really a quality of
3: life issue. It's a, uh, it is a police state, as you, as you both have, have acknowledged, uh, have talked about, and it's, uh, you know, it's not what America was supposed to be about. It was supposed to be limited government. Leave us be free. Leave us be alone. And of course we do have one politician who is preaching that, but not uh, very likely to succeed anytime soon. We are going to have, though, sometime, we're going to have a complete explosion or implosion. And Rick, you were talking about, uh, you know, you expect to buy more in the United States when things get cheaper. Uh, and this sort of leads me to the, to one topic I can't avoid. Bringing up again and again and again, because to me it's so important in terms of, of, of how you invest your money in the United States or elsewhere. We've had people on this show, deflationists like Robert Prechter. Last week I, I had, uh, Gary Schilling, Dr. Gary Schilling, a very well-known economist, more of a mild deflationist, not as, not as, uh, uh you know, not, not as fatal as, as the inflation that Mr. Prechter uh, sees. Ian Gordon, other deflationists, Bob Hoy, uh, then we of course we've had the, the inflationists on this show too, Ron Paul, James Turk, host of people that believe that this thing is going to ultimately end in an explosion of, of hyperinflation. And you know, I know that the end is both you know it's catastrophic and it's going to make people uh, poverty stricken. You know, the masses of people will be hurt very very badly if if it comes to these extremes, but. Rick, it sounds to me like you might be expecting, we've only got two minutes before the break and we'll come back and discuss this more, but it sounds to me, Rick, as if you sort of see deflation as, deflation at least in asset prices, uh, that still lie ahead of us. Is that right?
7: Uh, I, I see a lot of deflationary factors. I don't think that the government as a consequence of, you know, counterfeiting one and a half trillion dollars a year will allow, uh, to the extent that they can avoid it, deflationary forces to take uh, take effect. What I expect is incredible volatility as a consequence of an uncertain future and the fight between natural deflation and fiat inflation. And I see that uh, volatility expressed in the VIX substantially above 30 for extended periods of time. And investor terror, retail investor terror and institutional disintermediation and I think that that will set up equity pricing that, relative to the installed value of the assets and the earning capacity, will be very cheap. I don't think we're anywhere near there yet, but it's something I see in the future.
3: Hmm. Investor terror. That's an interesting uh, term. By that you mean this volatility would just scare the hell out of people, and they'll run and dump their dump their stocks or whatever they own uh, just because they're scared to death.
7: Not surprisingly, people are very tolerant of upside volatility. If a stock they own goes up 30% for no reason, they think they're geniuses. Mm -hmm. If a stock they own with no change in the value falls in price by 30%, they think something's wrong with the world. Mm
4: -hmm.
7: Um, And I think you're going to see lots and lots and lots of volatility. I mean, absolutely breathtaking volatility. If you're a value investor and you have some sense that prices fluctuate not based on value, but rather based on emotion in the near term you 're psychologically equipped to deal with that, but most people aren 't psychologically equipped to deal with it. They deal with it uh, in an ostrich like fashion by putting their head in the sand
3: yeah indeed that 's true. I mean we only have to go back to two thousand and eight that 's not that long ago to remember the last time we 've had panic selling. It just scares the hell out of you and you and you and you just you say, well you know where 's the bottom? I want to get out now and uh, and then, of course, uh, some folks are, are bright enough to come back in at the bottom when things stabilize. And certainly, our Chen Lin was one that did. And I have no doubt that both uh, both uh, you two guys were back in in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, buying up. I know Rick, and listening to you talk at at various conferences, you you have an ability to do that. But as you say, and I must confess, I am not built that way. It's I, I tend to emotionally go with the crowds. I I, I have a hard time going against the crowds but i think that's what sets out uh really sets apart successful investors with so-so investors uh doug anything we've got a few seconds before we go to commercial break anything to that you might want to add on that score no i think
8: uh, rick and i agree uh, about just about everything that i can think of except maybe what kind of wine to get with dinner and then i always defer to rick because he actually knows something about wine but um (laughs) Uh, no, it's going to be very volatile, very dangerous, but um, I'm looking for uh, stability. And that's why I'm, I've got two different cattle herds down here in Argentina, uh, which we could talk about the cattle business, which I think is kind of interesting.
7: Well, and it's why that, I,
8: recently, I recently got into a, uh, part- in a partnership to buy real estate in di- downtown Cairo which okay, is something Doug, that I know most people bad, wouldn't even bad. dream
3: of. Doug, we've got to go to break now. When we come back, let's pick up on cattle and real estate in Cairo, okay? Okay. We're going go to go to a commercial break, and when we come back on the other side of the hour, we'll be back here with Rick Rule and Doug Casey. Don't go away.
1: business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network
5: in this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty just one safe haven remains precious metals led by a strong proven management team prophecy platinum is actively developing the wellgreen platinum group metals nickel and copper property A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com.